How you doing, wrestling fans? And welcome to another edition of John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight Podcast. I hope everyone is staying safe out there. It's great to be back for another episode covering the Pro Wrestling Spotlight from 30 years ago. And the beginning of the new year on a new station that was very exciting to cover last week, yet stressful as the scandals that rocked 1991 reared their head once again with a vengeance in 1992. And today's show will cover highlights of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight radio show, which originally aired on January 12, 1992, on 1050 AM WEVD in New York City with 50,000 watts of power. Joining me, as he does each week, is famed wrestling journalist, Mr. Bob Smith. Bob, welcome back for another exciting week here at the podcast. Hey, how are you doing? It's 2022. We made it, dude. How you doing? We made it. Yeah, we're lucky we're still here. Doggone Skippy, I'm telling you. It's it's like um, I am happy to be uh, whole and healthy, as it were. Yeah, yeah. What uh, Any resolutions? <laughs> just to hang around, man. <laughs> just hang around another year. Hang around another year would be just fine for me. I'm I'm going with the flow, Jack. Yeah, I'm just hoping <laughs> for a uh, a good year by the New York Mets, like I say every year. Oh, there year. you go. And, sure. Uh, new manager and all that stuff. So uh, exciting! Uh, excited about that. Excited to be here for another episode. It should be a good one today. And let's, uh, without further ado, uh, she is a Rob Alex Robertson from uh, I guess the place that's probably really. Very cold right now up there in Canada, near Montreal. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it's about uh, Celsius. I would say it's about minus nine right now. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Yeah, it's so <laughs> fun walking outside. Uh, I can't, uh, you know, Tennessee is really interesting. I mean, it's, um, uh, I don't know if it's global warming or whatever, but I mean, every day is in the 50s, close to 60 and so oh, I love man. it. I love it in Tennessee, man. I don't like the cold weather. I don't like the cold weather at all. It started when I was a little boy. Well, you're a spring training guy too, right? I am. I'm a Florida. I don't know if I, if I'm destined to move down to Florida eventually. Who the heck knows? But uh, I do not like the cold weather. Never did. Never, never did. Um, well, Alex, everything is cool up there. You ready for another episode? I'm sure we're educating you each week here with all the craziness that happened uh, back then uh, with the steroids and the Russo stuff and everything. I mean, you know, just listening to you guys and, and reliving the history, it's, it's so much more entertaining, good or bad than what you watch today live on some of the shows. So happy to be here. Well, we're giving you a great education. We're giving you a PhD in wrestling history and, you get to hang out with three senior citizens every single week, which Stop must it. be, which, mu- which, which must be, uh, hey, we were just talking before we started taping about my 65th birthday on January 25th, and uh, uh, we were discussing, uh, you know, perhaps doing one big giant Zoom, you know, gifts can be sent uh, to me uh, via Venmo, uh, you know, and all of that, so I, I do expect lots of, uh, lots of gifts <laughs> for my 65th birthday, it's a big one, it's a milestone, right? It's a milestone. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, you know, get ready. We'll have a party. Where will I get my cake from? Jeez, I wonder if you need a new wood leg, John. Would you like one of those? I'm not far from it. Do you need some, do you need some (laughs) dentures, a polygrip or something? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to get fitted for what they call a partial soon. 
and of course, I have to get shoulder surgery. Oh, so yeah. That's gonna that's so it's going to be a great year physically. Can't wait to dive in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we're going to get to our one-man wrestling encyclopedia, Donnie Leibel, who will be joining us for the time capsule in a few minutes. So we look forward to that. Uh, before we begin, I, as I do each week, I'd like to ask you to join our Patreon page. If you're a fan of what we do here at the podcast, a fan of vintage wrestling and the rich history that is the Pro Wrestling Spotlight, join the Patreon community today. Uh, we got uh, probably about five new members over the last week, which is great. We're past the 90 mark. I think we're at uh, 92 patrons right now, which is kind of cool. Uh the Patreon account really offsets the cost of bringing you the show each and every week. And in return for your joining, you get a ton of content, vintage history uh, from the Pro Wrestling Spotlight, from its debut in 1989 to all the future episodes we have to come. And every single episode up to this point is now available for patrons. Show number one through show number 40 and new shows each and every week. So that's $5 a month and you get all of that. Plus, you get this podcast delivered to you early if you're a patron. Patreon.com slash John Arezzi. So, Bob, here it is. Week two at the show's new home, 1050 AM, WEVD in New York City. And another kind of explosive show unfolds uh, today. But also, we have some special surprises in store for our friend Cactus Jack, who was our in-studio guest 30 years ago. That's right. And uh, for you listeners out there, if you hadn't had enough steroids, here's some more steroids. Oh, wait, I put that bad. Um, you like, mean no, there, there, no. there was not enough steroids? No, no. No, we could always use more. No, absolutely. Well, I could. If you see me lately. Anyway. Um, you, look a little, little, you look kind of like Hulk did in 1991. Don't go there. Um, it, uh, here's Phil Mushnick, one of the most polarizing sports writers since in New York City since Dick Young, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Would you agree with that summation? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Dick Young was a firecracker, and he's the guy that drove Tom Seaver out of town, so it's not exactly, really fun. Exactly right. I see but, Donnie shaking his head there. That's true, but much, Nick, polarizing, yes. At the time, though, I think you were fully in his corner in that he was one of the few journalists or writers, whatever you want to call him, who was even paying the slightest bit of attention to the steroid story in pro wrestling yeah my interpretation of phil was that he was one of the only ones that you know took a deep dive into it but he had uh, he hated vince mcmahon and he wanted to do anything in his power to kind of call attention to all the bad things that were going on uh there are so many people that uh really do not like him because they felt he went over the top with it but he was one of the uh sole uh established journalists that were covering this story and would not let it go. So I got kind of lumped in with him. Uh, and always people always thought that I was like, even Vince Russo, I mean, as we'll get into several weeks down the road, he thought I was feeding information to, to Phil. And one of the biggest fights that we had was the, uh, was the day before we broke up. And he was like, you gave him all that information about the steroid symposium. I was like, I was not there, my friend. So I was accused of feeding Phil information, which was really never the case. I mean, he listened to the show. Yeah. Um, You know, Mushnick has had a long contentious thing going on with WD. Remember the Cornette on-air editorial? Oh, yeah. Oh, I do. 
Yeah, I do remember that. That was I have a, never seen anything like that before or since. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the one thing, I, you know, just getting back to the one thing I did was when that press conference took place in 91 and, uh, you know, I, the wrestling journalists weren't allowed. That's when I called Phil for the first time. And that's when I told him that. But that was as far as feeding information. I was so pissed off that wrestling journalists weren't allowed or weren't invited to that press conference in 91 at the Plaza Hotel. Uh, and we covered that certainly uh, in the past. Um that uh, I did call Phil about that, and he wrote about it. And 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 after the last episode, and uh, and he'll talk about this in, on this episode, uh, that last episode when he wrote that big story. That's when the first Ring Boy called him. So I mean, that's what kind of opened the uh, the floodgates over to that stuff. Right. Crazy well, stuff, Bob. Well, this episode is going to begin with another another one of your creative openings. Um, it, with a little bit of music, a little bit of drama. If you fans remember our last episode here, it was Superstar Graham and David Schultz spilling the beans. And that's included in our opener here, as well as a lot of other things that were going on at the time. John, what, what kind of a process was it in those days putting these openings together? Because for their time, they were really creative and really different. Yeah, I mean, it was more of a, uh, and you had to do, back then, it wasn't digital editing. Right. So uh, you'd have to actually edit the the tape. And uh, I, I don't recall the specific process other than I uh, chose those clips and uh, I was able to get into the studio and record uh, the opening. And then either myself or someone that I was assigned to me to actually edit, did the editing on it. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, did you have staffers help you? Were there any specific individuals? That uh, not at EBD. No, I mean, I still had friends at uh, WGBB. I still had some people at WNYG that were uh, engineers, producers, et cetera. So I might have went to one of those or I might have, you know, got into one of the stations to do it myself. I really don't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All I know is old fashioned audio tape. I, yes. I, I This is another thing I miss about the old days. I don't like digital just musically, I don't like digital sound. I can hear the difference. And I know a lot of people would probably take umbrage with that, but I'm just, I'm an old fogey that way. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, technology. It's, uh, what do you call, evolution. Evolution, that's right. Well, anyway, look, you want to hear the show opening, you guys? I think this, this is one of the best. I'd love to. Let's go for it. a day to look like I do, but the things that I am not is I'm not a steroid abuser, and I do not use steroids. When David and I both saw that program, uh, as millions of other people across the country, I believe it was July 18th, um, and uh, Hulk, uh, Hulk uh, Terry Bollet came out there and sat down and blatantly lied to the to the American public about his uh, steroid use. It uh, it was like a dagger in me. It was like someone had given me poison. Is I'm not a steroid abuser, and I do not use steroids. Told me that the first year he took steroids, he took a shot every day for a year. Right. On three different occasions, I had the same type of muscle injuries. That is the extent of whole token steroid use. And I remember three occasions specifically in '87 that I gave uh, Terry Bollet injections myself. Let me tell you how many times I 
personally injected Hogan with steroids, which would, I would inject him in his triceps usually because he couldn't reach around to get the needle in. And I guess it'd run into the hundreds of times. I think that Hulk Hogan is unquestionably one of the greatest role models in the history of sport or entertainment, and he will stay that way. Hulk Hogan. This guy has given me steroids. He has sold me steroids. He has sold other wrestlers steroids. Hulk Hogan is unquestionably one of the greatest role models in the history of sport or entertainment. We're dealing with a subject here uh, that could affect millions of dollars worth of merchandising, and it should justifiably do that, because we have a superhero to these children of the United States of America, a mega hero, a mega star, who has come out and blatantly lied and deceived the kids of this country. And I believe, I believe that if you lie to a child in the magnitude that Hulk Hogan has, that falls in the same category as child abuse. And I believe it is. Exactly. I don't want anyone in the general public ever questioning what they see when they turn on television or go to a live event or be associated in any way with a WWF product. I never, ever again want anyone to question in their mind what if this is not good, wholesome, quality family entertainment. That's exactly what it is. Our friends have voiced their concern about our safety. Wrestling fans, welcome to another edition of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight and uh, the Hulk Hogan bubble burst this past week. The talk show circuit has been filled with comments by superstar Billy Graham, Dr. D. David Schultz this past Thursday in the New York Post. Phil Muchnick wrote an article, perhaps the strongest article ever written about professional wrestling, and it's had some serious repercussions since this article has come out. Tonight on the Pro Wrestling Spotlight, we'll be talking to not only Phil Muchnick from the New York Post, we'll be on the phone with Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter direct from Campbell, California. We're going to spend the first half hour of the program speaking to them about the events of this past week. However, the second half hour of the program tonight should be real special for us. Uh, we're going to get into a subject uh, that we should be talking about here each and every week at the Pro Wrestling Spotlight, and that is about pro wrestling. Here live in the studio, one of the greatest wrestlers competing throughout the world today, Cactus Jack from World Championship Wrestling will join us live here in the studio, and we'll be taking your calls and comments for Cactus Jack. Steve Beverly from the Pro Wrestling uh, Matt Watch newsletter will also be joining us for a few minutes with a special announcement, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun here at the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Yes, we will. I, I just love Vince's line there. Wholesome quality family entertainment, yeah, you know, like Katie Vick or setting people on fire. You know those yeah. type of animals, You know, great for the kids. It was um, he was uh, he was kind of concerned <laughs> at that point. Yeah, but you know what? He sold out that whole that whole audience about seven years later, as I recall. So you know, please, any way the wind blows with that guy. You know, it makes me. Uh, angry. You know, you, you gotta know feel I mean? sorry for him now. Look, he's getting up there in years and. I gotta feel sorry for Vince McMahon. Yeah, Why? yeah. Look, don't you feel don't have any sympathy for that man? Look what he's done in his life. 
<laughs> yeah, look what he's done. He's, take, he's taken my favorite advocation and turned it into something that I don't recognize. Anymore. And he's always treated all his performers fairly and kind, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sweet guy, I understand. Mm-hmm. You know, I could be wrong about that. I, You know, other people love him. Ric Flair loves him. I think we should reach out him. and see if we could bring him on. You know, I, I, I'm tempted <laughs> to do that. I, I may. Alex, you're the producer. Go ahead and make that call. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll just go through all of the WWE webs and and all of their mm-hmm. what seems like impossible security to get past for for media purposes. Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, is it really that hard, when, Alex? When we yeah. bring Donnie on, Donnie can find anybody. So you know, yeah, we'll, yeah Donnie. <laughs> we'll let Donnie do it. Yeah, <laughs> Donnie can do it. Hey, hey, Donnie. <laughs> like the old Life cereal commercial. <laughs> find him. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Wait. interesting stuff, Bob. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, speaking of the great Don Liable, he's going to come on our next segment here. And uh, and the next segment is, drum roll, please, wrestling stuff. Yes. For about seven minutes, we don't have any steroids to talk about. That's so, a beautiful thing. And Don, Don will bring us that information. And um, well, why don't we bring Don in here? Hello, Don. Uh, yeah, yes, I'm going to find that phone number for you. I like a good challenge. <laughs> Don, I mean, you know, look who you've talked to recently, and they may not be wrestlers, but you know, you're talking about Gil Hodge's widow. You were on the phone with her recently. Uh, his son. You talked to Tim McCarver recently. Uh, you're always finding someone. Yeah, he was a little bit of a grouch, but uh, you know, all the stories that you continue to write, and the baseball, and even some of the wrestling legends, uh, you could find anyone, Don. So let's turn you loose and get Vince McMahon as a guest on this show. That would be. Uh, that would be such an entertaining uh, segment, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. I would love it. I would love it. You know what they uh, – there's a word for what I'm saying right now. It's called delusional. <laughs> <laughs> I like a good challenge. You yes, know you what? I, I have I have media contacts too. In fact, at my last uh, magazine, I was in contact with WWE quite often, as we were. We had wrestlers on the cover. So maybe I'll dig up. I'll get out the Rolodex yeah. uh, as opposed to my cell phone and see if I can uh, make make a couple of calls and be very nice about it. But who yeah, knows? Sure. Who knows? You have to ask first. Good luck. Listen, I had, major, I had a major blue star produce one of my albums. It never would have happened if I hadn't asked. Maybe I'll make, as you would call it, John, a Hail Mary pass. There you go. That's, uh, that's my MO, isn't it? Yeah. I'm Mr. I'm Mr. Hail Mary, according to You know, to a couple years ago, I found uh, – I was trying to get a hold of uh, Triple H. I wanted to talk to him about, um, you know, he, he came out with a book several years back. It was called The Making of the Game. Mm-hmm. And one of the photos in there that, that's not the WWF or WWE's photos is the one of him and Killer Kowalski that I took. And he had the, the publisher contact me and they, they bought the picture from me that's in there. I, I took that in like 19... 19- 91 or 92 of, of the two of them before one of Walter's shows. And um, so I wanted to get back in touch with him. And I saw somewhere that he has a manservant, like a, his, his own secretary or something like that. So I figured if I could get through to this person, that's my best chance of talking to Paul. And uh, I got a phone number on, on this person, but I never got a, re- a response to it. Um, well, I'd love for us to know exactly what's going on with Paul because of, uh, you know, he's been obviously uh, 
uh, in the hospital. Uh, you don't know the severity of the heart problems that he's had. And, you know, did he have a heart attack? Uh, was it just who knows what? But uh, we haven't seen Paul Levesque in, in quite some time now. Mm. Alex, you have you any mean, information on Paul at all? You know what's none. going on with him? No, as I know as much as you do at this point. Yeah, it's sad. And, you know, the guy is... Um, you know, certainly everything that he's done in the business and his characters and his feuds and his work rate. And, uh, but you know, we wish him the best, uh, but you don't hear much about what's going on with him these days. No, you don't. Well, I remember when he, I remember when he was getting paid a hundred dollars a night. (laughs) You were were there. I was there for the payoff. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Kowalski days. Yeah. 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 Well, anyway, uh, let's get back to the past now. Let's get to the clip uh, that will include Don's news capsule right after we hear from your friend and mine, Vinny Russo. We're going to get right to the meat of the program here, but uh, before we get Don Liable on the phone with us, uh, we're here with our executive producer and the co-editor of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight Weekly, uh, Vincent Russo. And Vincent, the first issue was out, and it's uh, been mailed out to everybody, free of charge, the first one. Yeah, the first issue is out, and hopefully the listeners will be getting it sometime this week, and it is hot. It's a hot issue, and uh, each and every week uh, we will be covering wrestling uh, and uh, hope to entertain you. And uh, what we're going to do for everybody right now, before we take phone calls, if you would like a free sample of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight Weekly Newsletter, call now at 212-477-5610. We will be giving out free issues for those reachable to us on the telephone tonight. And uh, what we're going to do right now is go to Don Liable with the news capsule of the week. Let's punch him up. Donnie, are you there? Yes, I am, John. Good evening. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. A uh, lot's happening this week, of course, uh, as you alluded to earlier. WWF making uh, headlines in the post and around the uh, talk circuit on a Hulk Hogan situation. And also WCW, uh, some changes going on in the corporate structure down in Atlanta. Lots going on. Yes, uh, Kip Fry has been uh, named the new executive vice president for World Championship Wrestling. We'll be talking to Dave Meltzer about that in just a little bit. All righty, John. Let's get right to the uh, meat of the capsule. A familiar name that has been a stranger to the wrestling community during the past couple of years leads off the capsule. Former wrestling star Big John Studd has struck a deal with boxing promoter Don King to begin a partnership. At a press conference in Midtown last Tuesday, Studd revealed some of his promotional ambitions concerning the boxing and wrestling worlds. February 15th is scheduled to be Stud and King's first venture in boxing, and plans for a wrestling pay-per-view are being laid out for year's end. More details on Big John's newest venture should be known later this week. World Wrestling Federation's Nasty Boys, Brian Knobs and Jerry Sags, were injured last Sunday after leaving an arena in Peoria, Illinois. Now, while driving a car, driving away, a car of three men followed and harassed the tag team. When Knobs confronted the three at a stoplight, a scuffle occurred, and when it was all over, Knobs was stabbed four times, three in the arm and once in the stomach. And Sags was hit over the head and received a concussion. They were both treated at Peoria's Methodist Hospital and later released. Keeping with the WWF, next Sunday is their annual pay-per-view of the Royal Rumble. For those of you driving up to the Knickerbocker Arena in Albany, you want to get off on the New York State Thruway at exit 23. Also, watch for an announcement from the Federation for a special live on the Fox Network for February 8th. Some news around the wrestling globe as of late last Monday in San Juan, Puerto Rico. It was Miguelito Perez coming out ahead of Greg the Hammer Valentine to gain the Caribbean Championship. Johnny Ace will be Stan Hansen's regular tag team partner in the Orient for 1992. And speaking of Japan, for all Japan Wrestling's upcoming tour in February, 
Look for Andre the Giant, Dory Funk Jr., Terry Gordy, and Steve Williams. They're all booked for it. That according to the Wrestling Observer. And finally, as John alluded to earlier, Jim Hurd, Executive Director of World Championship Wrestling since Ted Turner's organization purchased the promotion, has been given his walking papers. Kip Fry, an attorney for TBS, has been given the reins on an interim basis. And finally, a program, programming note for this coming Friday at 9 p.m. on CBS Television, former wrestling heavyweight champion Terry Funk appears on a new series, Tequila and Bonetti. Capsule time, 10-12. And there you have it. Goodbye, Jim Hurd. Yeah, a lot of people celebrated that. A lot of people celebrated that. I mean, Hurd was uh, an albatross uh, when it came to running WCW and uh, just a you know cantankerous guy. One of the biggest reasons Cornette left and uh, with his departure and Kip Fry coming in. I mean, uh, before you know it, Jim Cornette is back. Uh, Don, do you have much recollection about this stuff? I mean, with Jim Hurd? Yeah, it's interesting uh, that this comes up again because if, I, if I'm not mistaken, Jim Hurd was probably the most – unpopular executive with WCW and mm-hmm. Kip Fry, at least what I remember when he came in was the most popular uh, leader of WCW. And I don't re- think that Kip Fry lasted that long, but it seemed like there the, 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 the uh, attitude was more positive amongst the boys uh, with him uh, as opposed to what they had to deal with, with uh, Jim Hurd. Yeah, and the media uh, treatment was much better when uh, Kip Fry took over. Bob, I don't know if you remember or not, but uh, when he took over, he had an event, I believe it was in Kansas City, where he invited all the wrestling media to show up. And I went to that, and we'll be covering that here on the show. But uh, that was something that really was never done before. You know, he he welcomed everyone to this press conference, uh, to one-on-one interviews. Uh, I remember Dusty, uh, was Dusty Rhodes there or not? I, he might have been. Um, I don't remember now about Dusty. So, uh, but I do remember going to that event in Kansas City, and I thought it was awesome that you have an executive like that that was opening his arms up to the wrestling media. Well, you know, putting a thousand people in the twenty thousand seat hockey arena will, will tend to change attitudes. And yeah. but to be to play devil's advocate at this point, WCW was turning it around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Taxes Jack was in. Rick Steamboat was in. They brought uh, Rick Root in. I mean, was Dusty I, there at the time, Bob? I think he still was, yeah. Yeah, because I, I do remember, because I think I brought that magazine uh, when I wrestled him, and he signed it at that Kansas City event, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, mm. I guess we'll discover it in weeks to come. You know, his role would flip-flop back and forth throughout his whole career. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes, you know, I don't know when he lost the book there. I don't have specific dates on it, but, you know, he may have hung on to perform. Yeah, at that point. Yeah. So you a, know, we'll have, era. Yeah, Donnie, you have any any recollection of of that at all? What may have happened with Dusty at that point? I don't, uh, and I, I tend to agree with what you said. He would hang on as a, as a performer because sooner or later, wherever wherever the dream was, uh, he ended up getting the pencil. So mm-hmm. uh, depending on who's leading uh, the organization at that time, he probably was still hanging around there to be on the committee or to be the booker. Yeah, but that was about to enter a really cool era for WCW. I mean, you know, the Dangerous Alliance, uh, and then Cornette comes back. And uh, I think uh, in the middle of the year, doesn't Bill Watts also make a return early in 92? I think that's about right. And, yeah. and uh, 
even that didn't work out great, did it? I mean, no. we'll, we'll be getting into that, I'm sure, in future. We will, episodes. yeah, but I just kind of, all these flashbacks are just popping into my head yeah. because yeah. at the same time I was doing the newsletter with Russo, and I do remember a cover story about Watts coming in and the Dangerous Alliance. So anyway, we'll be covering that. we got a lot to go over, but my, right now my head is like a, uh, it's almost like it's been warped back into 1992 all of a sudden. Funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Flashbacks. I thought only drugs did that to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Don, Don uh, any other recollections of this particular clip or of that era? Well, you know, what was interesting is because, you know, I was good friends with John Studd and I totally forgot about the, the, what, what we just played there with him and coming mm -hmm. to some agreement with, with Don King. And I still can't remember thinking of it now that what whatever became of what that at that time with John. Uh, he died not much longer uh, after that, too. After well, did, he, did he end up boxing? I think he did. Uh, I don't think so because he got sick and, and then he, he was sick for about a year and then he passed. Uh, and I always like to say, you know, some people, you, when you, when you learn about what people do when, when nobody's watching that to me, that's, that's, you know, what they really like. And when John was close to, to dying, uh, Billy Graham called him often, uh, and would, would pray with him on the phone and would talk to him and, and, um, it could have been the day before he passed. Billy Graham uh, would speak with him on the phones, so and that that always made me feel good. But I don't I don't remember anything to do with the Don King thing, and it's probably because he got sick. Well, uh, we will have a little spoiler alert here um, next week's taping, and I haven't even heard the show yet, but uh, I have it listed here. Because uh, I have all the tapes in front of me that are going to cover the next few months. Um, on the uh, January nineteenth, nineteen ninety-two, show number one forty-three, special guest John Studd. Well, so, there we go. <laughs> we'll get to the bottom of it then. So we will very get good. to the bottom of it for sure. Oh, John, you're like Johnny Carson with his uh, crystal ball. That's very good. Hey, can, yeah. can I tell you one quick story? The last time I saw John before he uh, got very ill. Um, as, as you know, some people know, that whenever he would work or, or uh, would kill a Kowalski shows that I would always did publicity work for Walter. And then I would wear a mask and go out to the ring as a manager. And, but I always wanted to be like the grand wizard. You could try to hit me, but never touch me because, you know, quite frankly, some of these guys would just get in a moment and they would kill me. They would just, you know, so, um, uh, John came to the ring managing, uh, uh, big Ron Reese, you know, Ron was well over seven feet tall. And John, of course, you know, was probably six foot eight or 10. And um, the last time that I saw them, uh, they pulled a rib on me after the match. They both got in the ring and I didn't know what was happening. And John Studd picked me up over his head and I was never so scared. I was screaming <laughs> and it was really screaming because I didn't know what they were going to do. And, uh, he just passed me along to Ron Reese, which scared me because I thought he could drop me. And then they just dropped me on, on, on the apron and they walked away. And it was the last time I saw John. Um, wow. So, <laughs> wow. He scared me, boy. Yeah. You got great stories there, Don. I mean, you were in and around all of these guys and uh, you know, you're covering the independence and covering Kowalski shows and the friendships that you had with guys like John Studd and Walter and, 
so many others as we uh, progress into this. Uh, I'm sure we're going to hear some great stories. And and uh, one, one other quick one, you know, we were talking about the steroids uh, right now. Um, I can remember uh, in 2000, 2001, I went to a TV taping, WCW, and I was staying at the hotel with one of the wrestlers. And um, after the show, the, uh, the, the following morning, they had a, a chartered flight that was taking them to the next uh, show. And as we were getting up in the morning, uh, the wrestler I was staying with told me to get something, some medicine or something out of a, the, the refrigerator <clears throat> in a room. And um, it looked like Mountain Dew in a vial. And I was just really not expecting much, anything other than, oh yeah, here's some medication. Maybe this person, you know, could be diabetic or whatever. So next thing I know, they put this uh, solution into a syringe and uh, they asked me to inject them because they couldn't reach behind their back. <laughs> And at that moment, I realized, I think I know what I'm doing and I should not do this, but I did not have the courage to stop myself. And I thought, well, geez, you know, what if that, that syringe had uh, oxygen bubble in it or something? Imagine. And, and I, I, I drove home and the whole time I thought, wow, you know, you're pretty weak. I should have stood up and said no, and I didn't. And... You know, it's one hey, of these things you where, you were put into a precarious situation, yeah, and of course, uh, you know, you say no, then you're looked upon, you know, as like uh, uncooperative uh, Mark or whatever. Exactly. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, you uh, you danced a fine line, you know, with some mm. of the stories that uh, you told me over the years on some of the things that happened to you towards a lot of part of your time in wrestling. Right. I mean, you went through hell at some situations, so uh, we won't get into that today, but. Uh, I, I, I sympathize with what you went with went through back then in in a lot of situations. So um, I'm I'm happy that you're here with us to even discuss some of this. Stuff with us. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I yeah well, that. I appreciate that, Don. Uh, and uh, we, uh, of course, each and every week enjoy having you here. And uh, uh, the time capsule is uh, is a really cool part of the show. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else for Don, Bob? I I think we're good. Don, just a fountain of information. We really yes. appreciate it, sir. More stories next week with Don Leibel, uh, mm-hmm. the walking encyclopedia of pro wrestling. Donnie, always a pleasure to see you. Thank you for having me. All right, man. Thanks. I should mention that Don weekly wears his Met colored uh, pro wrestling spotlight baseball cap available. Yes. Now. Uh, we, we will be putting that back up uh, for sale uh, right around the time baseball season starts. Very good. Excellent. It it really is sharp. That's that's the nicest one I've seen. It looks Limited good. Limited edition. It, it pops, as they, as they say in the fashion world. Yes. Well, anyway, we're about ready to uh, hear from the legendary columnist for the New York Post, Mr. Phil Mushnick, as well as the legendary journalist, Dave Meltzer. And you're bringing these two guys on the show simultaneously, John. What was the thought behind that? Well, Dave was probably the most educated person there was in regard to the uh, story when it comes to all the nuances and his uh, education, his knowledge about what was going on and his uh, his constant uh, communication with people who uh, will not be named, uh, his sources. 
and uh, he and Phil were talking. So I figured it would be uh, beneficial for the listeners and even for myself to bring both of these gentlemen on together. Okay. So without further ado, let's get to the meat of a very serious story. Gentlemen, are you there? Yes, I'm uh, Mushnick's here. I'm here. Okay, uh, uh, we're on the phone with Phil Muchnick from the New York Post and Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Now, Phil, uh, you have been instrumental as far as in the mainstream media of covering this story, following it from the Zaharian trial leading up to the events of this past week, last week's Inside Edition piece. Uh, you're about one of the only mainstream media figures to follow this as closely as... Uh, anyone in the business has yeah that's disappointing to me personally however uh a wrestling uh, doesn't fit comfortably in any niche as it relates to newspapers it's, it's neither fish nor fowl and even in good economic times i think the the underbelly the evil underbelly of professional wrestling would escape a critical overview uh however it's uh, the situation is exacerbated in in a recession during which time we see local newspapers unable to staff uh, NHL games on the road. The Islanders and Devils, for the most part, aren't staffed on the road by the New York Post or the Daily News. So it's not as if uh, we, we can reasonably expect investigative journalists to go out and, and do a whole big investigation on professional wrestling. And uh, it just strikes me as, as something that people were... People my age, I'm, I'm 39, when we grew up and we watched wrestling, it was, it, as Bruno Sammartino says, it was harmless. Uh, they, wrestling had its critics, but it was harmless. It, it never did anything or never facilitated anything that would hurt any kid anywhere. But just to look at it, prima facie, on the surface, to see, to see the, the, the enormity of these people and the unnatural builds on these people, you know that this something is, is far more than playful harmlessness. This, this stuff is, is brutal. Yeah, it's, it's been a it's been a heavy story. Uh, uh, one thing that I've been really really upset over the last uh, week week and a half, just having to keep bringing up this topic. And Dave is another person who's covered pro wrestling. Uh, I'm sure that uh, it's something that you go back and forth on. Uh, it's beyond the point now. You have to report on it. The story won't go away. Uh, as a journalist uh, covering wrestling, is it in depth the way you do? Uh, how does the story, how, how has it made you feel about covering pro wrestling? Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that uh, it, it, it is kind of like uh, forced the promotions into, um, you know, even heavier deception than um, they're normally used to. And I guess that that kind of, as far as like uh, watching pro wrestling, being a fan of pro wrestling, I can't say that... Um, as a whole, I mean, there are, there are promotions that the steroid problem, I mean, there might be steroids there, but they're not rewarding people based on physique. There are promotions like that. And I, and I still enjoy watching pro wrestling. I enjoy it more than ever, really. Um, you know, some, at, at some point, um, something, you know, I, I'm just hoping, you know, you've got you've to spread honesty. And at some point, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know how long they can go with the deception, but as long as they go with the deception, I guess that we have to keep talking about it. And I, I unfortunately think that's going to be a long time. Well, uh, with all the, the main, uh, mainstream coverage now that's happening uh, regarding this story, uh, Titan Sports should make a, some type of statement. I know the only person that I have spoken to that has talked to anyone within the office uh, was Steve Beverly of Matwatch. He did speak to Steve Planamenta uh, briefly on Friday, who discussed it, but they didn't address 
The reason that all this is coming out is because of the Arsenio Hall show, first of all, uh, and Hulk Hogan uh, claiming that he only used the steroids for medical purposes back in 1983. John, it would seem to me that, that in the throes of the, of the Zahorian trial, the World Wrestling Federation had the opportunity to come clean, to say, yes, this was then, and, uh, and, and by then I mean last year or a few months ago, and this is now, we, we confess to the error of our ways, what we did was wrong, in fact it was horribly wrong, and we'll never do it again. Instead, the, the first statement that came out of the WWF was that this trial had absolutely nothing to do with the WWF, and for anyone to suggest something like that would be, would be ludicrous. At that point, you know where these people's hearts are. They're in syringes. Yeah, I hate well, you know, there's another point that, that needs to be made that I don't think a lot of people are aware of, and that is, is that uh, the WWF had more lead time on this than, than anyone realizes because they knew back in 1989 Zahorian was being investigated. In the Zahorian trial, Zahorian himself testified that uh, in 89, which was months before Zahorian was ever busted and two years, approximately, almost two years before the trial, uh, Zahorian testified, Pat Patterson called him up and said, hey, you know, there's heat, you know, uh, make sure to supposedly, uh, you know, um, you know, be ready for something. So, I mean, they knew in 89 that there was heat, that there was investigations. And Billy Graham has spoke about, you know, uh, the, the people on the New Jersey, uh, the, the, the uh, highway patrol in New Jersey knew that the guys were carrying drugs and the guys would avoid uh, going from New York to Philadelphia on the Jersey Turnpike because they wanted to avoid those highway patrolmen who knew that the wrestlers were carrying stuff going from place to place. They were, they were told to avoid that. So this is not something that is just, you know, a lot of people think, well, it's just come up, they've had maybe six months isn't enough time to, to do something. The fact is, is that they've, you know, I mean, they, they knew about it. And Vince Jr., you know, and, and, and everyone in the WWF knew about this, the steroid use in the WWF. They knew Zahorian. Zahorian's name was no secret to people as far as that stuff goes. I mean, I knew about Zahorian in the early 80s, and, and everyone in wrestling did. So, um, and I think if any of us could be reasonably assured that this is a minor problem, that this exists on, say, a 5% level or a 10% level, I think we'd be inclined to give them the, the benefit of the doubt. It's However, it's everyone who comes forward now is talking it's about a night. And John will remember this. We were at the press conference or, or at a press meeting with Vince in August, and Vince told us to our face that nobody on that promotion was on steroids. This was in August. And it's laughable. And, you know, I mean, you know, you can look at the guys... And you can see that. So, I mean, that's, that's a little bit more deception. You know, if you could get the, the steroid problem under control, and these guys, a lot of these guys are psychologically addicted, and these guys really want to be big. And me, I would be, you know, more than acceptable if steroids were not used as a rewarding tool. The, the, the enormous physiques were not a reward, that, that we're not being rewarded by better um, contracts, better spots in the promotion, and they that's are. That's the core of the problem. That's the core of the problem. This is an that's industry... Not, that's, that, that's not being addressed. I mean, just recently, uh, Vince brought in Chris Chavis, Chris Walker, and I have nothing against the two guys, but he's bringing in guys... He's not bringing in guys uh, of a different uh, look. He's bringing in guys of the same look, and then he's trying to say that things have changed or that things were never even like this, and that's, you know, that's just not so. It was not so. And I'll tell you what, wouldn't a little contriteness on the part of WWF gone a long way at that point? It would have gone a heck of a long way. Yeah. I mean, you know, they could have they, they could have avoided most of this stuff. Well, and, I know. And, and that's why I was happy that Dave and Phil were on together because Dave had all those facts. He, you know, just the stuff about 
them knowing that there was an investigation on Zaharian in 1989. So they had plenty of time to clean this up and to make it right. And Hogan, if he would want on Arsenio and say, hey, man, I made a, you know, I am sorry. This is what I did. And I apologize. And but none of that happened. And that's why this broadcast from January 12th, 1991. Was still covering this this story would not go away because of the way they handled it and because of their PR efforts and the way they handled it all. Then more and more came out, which led to another trial which led to other scandals, which led, which led, which led to various things. And it, you're right. Everything just snowballed. It, mm-hmm. it got bigger and bigger and bigger, John. Yeah. It just wouldn't go away. And then, uh, you know, like you said, other scandals spun off of it. Yeah. It was almost like you know, the flavor of the week. You know, yeah. every, every week you'd hear something new about some other topic yeah. and it was all coming from that company. And it was just so chaotic and well, ugly, really. Yeah. And uh, it was very stressful. It really was. Sit in the seat as we were doing each week to cover it all. And, you know, for anybody who loved wrestling, you wanted to cover wrestling. You know, you, you would, I'm sure you would have preferred at that point to sit down with your guests and talk about a great match you had just seen yes. or an excellent pay per view card or an yeah. up and coming star. But right. you didn't have time for that because this was the 800 pound gorilla in the room. You couldn't, you couldn't ignore it. Yeah. And I had, uh, a lot of people pointing, you know, why don't you just get off of it? Why don't you stop it already? This is a vendetta. You know, you're, you're, you're doing no. this. I no. mean, but it wasn't, it wasn't the case, but that's the things that I was told back then. Uh, mm-hmm. I must've had some type of vendetta because I, I, I kept covering it and covering it and covering it. And, you know, each time I covered it, it put me in a deeper um, uh, hot water uh, from uh, from out there in Connecticut. I mean, uh, they just uh, hated the fact that I was on the air each week now at a big, huge station talking about this stuff and bringing on guys like Phil Muchnick. Well, I, I just, I don't understand the logic of accusing someone who's trying to make a living in pro wrestling, trying to rip it apart because you were trying to rip it apart. You were trying to get to the bottom of something and, and help, maybe help solve the problem. I yeah. think that's where your heart was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and I and I, and one thing stands in my head, and we'll cover this in the future too. Is when uh, Vince Russo met Vince McMahon for the first time, and McMahon told him, "You guys don't understand how much fun doing a radio show could be." No, but this you know, was not fun. No, no. Hey, you know what? It wasn't fun in my office either. You know, I, I'm sitting around. I would do the. We were doing our weekly uh, newsletter at that point too. And I, I wrote most of that, and it was like, is this the business I want to cover anymore? You know, seriously, I had, I had second thoughts. I was like, are these the people I want to be associated with? Is this as good as it gets? This was the biggest, most famous company, and this is the best they can do? And plus, on top of it, the product was very much unlike the stuff I grew up watching. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought it was lesser. I didn't think it was as entertaining, and I thought it was – so calculated towards young people, you know, and kids that I, I started to lose my fandom and it hurt. Yeah. Cause I didn't want to lose my fandom, but I, they were taking away what I had enjoyed for so long. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate. Yeah. And you know, you, you, you don't, you know, when it's one nasty thing after another, it tends to erode your enthusiasm for what your advocation is. But what can I say? Yeah. But, you know, I stuck with it, and you stuck with it, too. 
And I do promise everybody listening to this, we will be having fun this year with this show. There'll be other things covered that are kind of cool. Thank goodness. <laughs> but and you'll, actually, get, and you'll get to listen to me have a nervous breakdown on the air. Is that right? Oh, yeah. After oh. the Russo split, yeah. All right. I can't wait for that. Actually, oh, yeah. I, I can wait for it, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. But uh, we have more Phil Mushnick here. Yes. And you get right. You you just let give them the floor. Why not? And, and yeah. both him and Dave are going to make statements here. And I think they're very strong statements. Here we go. Hey, That's okay. Way, can I say something fast? Sure. You talked about deception. I, I certainly don't want to deceive anyone here. I'm not a professional wrestling expert. I don't follow it. I barely watch it. Uh, as it relates to this story, I'm barely a journalist. I'm, I'm what I consider myself as a concerned parent and a concerned uncle because I have two nephews who eat this stuff whole. And who knows what happens when if, if they get in their heads that uh, they want to get into a gym, as Hulk Hogan suggests, and bulk up. And the guy at the next station is twice his size and doing working half as much. Who knows where this stuff leads? It, it's ugly. And I also want to say that I've been enabled by some, some very good work, and there's a, an underground and a subculture that I'm just beginning to recognize as, as quite viable, and that are people like yourselves doing newsletters, doing shows like this, a Dave Meltzer, a John Arezzi, a Wade Keller, a guy like Alex Marvez down in Miami, guys who are in their newsletters doing as much good journalism as, say, I've, I've experienced reading mainstream newspapers about, say, the Jets or the Giants or the Rangers. And I think uh, a lot of the credit has to go to guys like yourselves. And furthermore, if this stuff proliferates or if the exposés continue, it stands to reason that the WWF is going to have to suffer and all of pro wrestling is going to suffer. And suffer to what extent, who knows? Maybe it even dies for a while. Which means that you guys have, have been able to combat what could be perceived as conflicted interest. It's not in your best financial interest to see pro wrestling hurt, yet your sense of right from wrong seems so great that you're able to transcend that. And I, you know, in times when people do all the wrong things for all the wrong reasons, you guys uh, should be commended. Well, I think there's a base of hardcore wrestling fans out there that are uh, waiting for the day that the business is cleaned up. Uh, we have a guest that will be coming on here shortly, a guy by the name of Cactus Jack. And he uh, best exemplifies what pro wrestling should be. Now, if the WWF falls, if they lose uh, their empire, so to speak, uh, in a way, that might be good for pro wrestling hardcore fans because we remember the way it used to be. Uh, and, Dave, I think you could speak for that as well, that uh, it may cause a lull, as you mentioned, Phil, but uh, there is a base of hardcore wrestling fans that will continue to follow the sport and if it does fall, if the big empire falls, uh, there'll be new fans that'll be attracted uh, to wrestling and wrestlers that are not uh, juiced up. Dave, do you want to comment on that? Well, I think that it's really premature to talk, to even you know, talk about the WWF empire falling. I mean, uh, it, if it, it does, it just, I just think it's very premature. But um, I think that um, for the wrestling to survive over the long term, it has to. Nip, it, you know, when problems get out of control, it has to nip its problems. And this problem has gotten way out of control since, you know, the mid-'80s. And I just think that and it's a public problem. People know about it. I think it's time to get it under control, and pro wrestling's going to survive. It's just like football, had a, football had, a, had a steroid problem, not to the extent of pro wrestling, but football survived, and they're, they're trying to, to get it down. And, and they, they've done, you know, it's down. But, Dave, to say it's a problem 
the way you've just stated it, it seems to indicate that somehow, and I know you don't feel this way, but, it, but somehow that the World Wrestling Federation is a victim of this problem. Oh, well, it well, seems to me that whatever problems that WWF I, now I, has have I, brought it upon themselves. The has encouraged steroid use, and I know that they will deny it, but, I mean, you just look at the guys, and you look at who's been pushed, and you look at the, um, the way they've educated their audience. I just don't see how you can come to any other conclusion. Agreed. Well, all, all I know at this point, you know, I'm listening to talk about the empire falling and all this, and then I, I think about Major League Baseball. And their steroid scandals. Mm -hmm. Do you think the fans really cared as much as they probably should have about MLB and their stars being? No. Uh, same here. I, I don't think that anybody really cared. Is that possible? Uh, maybe a small percentage cared. Like, I guess even with uh, what was going on in the WWF, there was a percentage of fans that cared. There are a percentage of parents that did not want their kids to watch a product with guys that were inflated uh, with these types of uh, uh, pharmaceuticals inside of them. Uh, and TV ratings did take a tumble. Uh, you know, it really started to erode rapidly in 1992. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah. Um, but for the majority of fans, do they care? Did they care? Uh, Hulk Hogan was uh, and the Ultimate Warrior were just looked like they were helium balloons. Well, I'm I'm just basing my thoughts on part of it is on your show because yeah. you would spend all this time with this serious journalism and, and yeah. talk seriously about this topic, and then here comes Biff from Nova Scotia going, uh, "Is the Ultimate right. Warrior signing with WCW?" So it was almost as if you had spent all this time on this really serious matter, and the fans were still stuck in. Yeah, because we were purists. I was a purist, like I am a purist today, but I understand evolution, and I know the business and the performers and the way the whole business runs today is not going to be like it was years ago. But back in 1992, I was a purist. I right. saw guys that went into the ring who were not muscle-bound freaks looking at them. Right, They were like average Joes, except for they were larger than the average man or woman but they were not uh, given a push based on their muscularity mm -hmm. like was going on in right. that organization and throughout professional wrestling because WCW is certainly not innocent. No. But, you know, if you go back through the years, like a Crusher Blackwell would get a, a, a push. Yes. Maybe because he was big. They always push size, but mm -hmm. this was a different kind of size. Yeah. And, and chiseled. Chiseled, right. I mean, cartoonish. That's why Superstar Graham was the star that he was. Nobody looked yeah. like him. Yeah, but and, and also no one knew. I mean, right. it was like this guy was like a, a, a specimen of un unlike anything you'd ever seen before. It was like this, this, this chiseled, charismatic guy that came into the ring in the mid 70s and everyone was just like ooh and on because they'd never seen anything like that before. Exactly right. And then when he opened his mouth and cut a promo, it was like that was the icing on the cake. And his and his ring work wasn't that bad, but he had the crowd eating out of his hands and it was like and of mm -hmm. course, uh young uh young Vince McMahon uh was enamored with that look 
back in the superstar Billy Graham days. Right. But you know what? His charisma, you, you could build the body like that, but you couldn't have the charisma he had. And I think that's where they made the cardinal mistake. Yeah. We saw wrestler after wrestler that was like a giant, you know, Graham type, but they never had the charisma that Graham had. So you know what? That you mean Warlord the, didn't have that charisma? Well, there you go. I mean, <laughs> this this proves the point that they really didn't need to push the body beautifuls, but that's all they seems like they pushed for about yeah. three years, if if I recall correctly. Yeah, there was uh, there was nothing but that. Yeah, and and it got boring. It did. Yeah, and the matches were always very short, and and you know the television program was always these these big behemoths squashing a guy in two minutes and the, the angles got rarer and rarer and it just stopped being creative. You know, it, it, they were selling the uh, sizzle and the merch and the merch. Yeah. Well, you know, here we are, here we are complaining, but yeah, they sold a lot of merchandise everywhere you went. It was oh. WWF merch. Everything they were their their licensing uh, agreements with toy companies, and they were everywhere. I mean, oh. Toys R Us were filled with, yeah. with all kinds of stuff. And you could go to the ice cream counter, and there's there's uh, Coco Beware ice cream bars, and you know it was well. It, they're it's back, pretty amazing. You know? They're ice cream sandwiches now. Good humor is making them. Did you know? Get that? out. Who's on the yes. Who's on the sandwiches? Roman Reigns. Is on one of the sandwiches. Get Becky out, Lynch. Becky Lynch. Hold on. Well, a second. I, I've always enjoyed the thought of eating Becky I Lynch. Take I, I bought some. I bought some the other day at the Stop and Shop uh, here. Are you? Uh, and and it's uh, Becky Lynch, uh, Roman Reigns, John Cena, and uh, there's another one too that's uh, on there as well. But there's four, and it's uh, instead of the ice cream pop, which had that cookie with the guy's Sick. imprint and the ice cream mm -hmm. and there was a layer of chocolate on that ice cream bar which made it right. really over the top good <laughs> alex here alex here <laughs> we're talking ice cream now well, I, I, was, I was just looking it up to see who the other person was i'm seeing i'm seeing macho man on the cover i don't yeah, know yeah there's a macho man yeah, that's right the fourth one is macho okay then that's it yeah wow I'm sure wow. he's getting. I'm sure he's getting residuals. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Wow, that's I, I am flabbergasted at this very concept. These are ice cream sandwiches you're telling me. Yes, they're not the ice cream bars, but they're still good because I did buy them and I didn't. <laughs> them. That's great. <laughs> you ate one. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you you are Mr. Wrestling. You 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 yes. will. You will. I, it, was strictly, I bow, it was strictly for nostalgia purposes. I bow to <laughs> your to your uh, continuing to be the, the band that you are. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I can't believe I can't believe they're making these. And yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't cut. I didn't cut. I didn't cut out the Roman Reigns figure on the back of the box, so I did throw that away. Oh, there was a figure you could cut out. Oh, yes. I, I, now I'm going to the store after we tape. That's it. I'm I'm heading right to my local grocery and see if I can find these things. But they don't have the chocolate anymore. So there's that's a little bit of a disappointment, the chocolate coating. Next week's food review will be the SD Jones uh, uh, ice cream bar. But it, anyway, um, shall we get back to the <laughs> shall we get back to the clips? Um, we have ending statements from Dave and Phil Mushnick. And okay. uh, and 
all at the same time here, Cactus is going to enter the show. Mr. Cactus Jack McFoley. <laughs> yeah, our, he's entering the he's entering the lion's den. Yes, our friend, uh, one of the great wrestlers of all time, and now we can say that with a straight face because if we had said Cactus Jack is going to be one of the great wrestlers of all time in around 1989, people would have laughed at us, John. That is true. But he was. We saw it. We saw it. I mean, I, I mean, you you and I were, were tight at that point, and I was starting to push him at the same time you were. You could just tell. This guy cared about it so much, about being the best wrestler he could. And in, here at early 1992, he's going to find out just how much he had improved and what a star he had become all on this show. Right. It was a special uh, it was a special surprise for Cactus. It really was. So let's get started. Let's hear some more from our guests, all three of them. Uh, I want to get some final comments from you, Phil, as far as uh, uh, I guess you will continue following this story and making the mainstream or uh, media people aware of it. I know in your column Thursday, uh, I came into the radio station here for a brief meeting and uh, I met Bill Mazur, who will be starting up a morning show here, and he had read the piece. They were talking about it on Mike and the Mad Dog Sports Illustrator, from what I understand, also took wind of it. Uh, so you are... Uh, letting the media people, the mainstream people, aware of what's going on in pro wrestling. And I guess you'll continue to follow this till uh, it, it comes to its conclusion one way or another. I will. I, I hope it's not the case that, that I'll be the only one. Uh, in, in, in short, I, I just want to say that when I grew up a, a sports fan and a wrestling fan, no one anywhere at any time ever had it in their head to do anything that could ever hurt a kid. And now when I see things in mainstream sports like Major League Baseball, they've They've denied kids access to the World Series, for crying out loud. Now in, in, in sports, everything is selling kids $150 sneakers, for crying out loud. They cost 10 bucks. and they're made in South Korea. To see what the celebrities of the sport and, and the, the, the captains of this industry, the, the commissioners have done to, to basically suck the money out of kids' parents' pockets is, is beyond the pale. And this is all just part and parcel of, of that insidious uh, plan. Mm-hmm. Well, we commend you on your work, Phil, not only uh, covering pro wrestling, but I certainly enjoy your column uh, every time it appears in the post. And uh, continued success for you, and um, we'll, be, we'll keep reading and following the story. Thank you, John. You keep swinging, too. Okay, thank you. Good night, Dave. I, I'd like to say that I, I really um, think that Phil, one of the things that Phil brought up in his column that was very important is um, that pro wrestling has managed to um, escape a critical mainstream overview because no matter how popular it is, it just seems that newspapers don't have a particularly uh, uh, perfect place to put it. The entertaining people say, ah, you know, I don't want to touch that. That's wrestling. That's garbage. And the sports people will say the same thing. So therefore, you know, a story, and, this, and to me, this is a story of huge magnitude. It's largely, um, I don't know, I think that it, it, it certainly hasn't received the play that uh, if uh, another celebrity... Um, you know, of, of that kind of um, magnitude, of that kind of um, popularity. Um, if Paul Tagliabue or Pete Rozelle or, uh, or Faye Vincent were ever named at, a, at an illegal steroid trial, good God, think right. about it. And this, yet this has happened, and, and really, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there are people who are covering it, but, uh, you know, they're mostly concerned wrestling fans that are, that are covering it. I mean, you see everybody else is just walking the other way. And another point I want to make about the Zahorian trial was is that there was a there was a pro football player, um, you know, who was uh, mentioned uh, in the, in uh, both the uh, um, the um, um, evidence and also um, in the trial itself is wanting to purchase human growth hormone, and uh, you know we didn't see any football writers even touch that, and that really surprised me. 
You know, that was Brian Fouché, who was with the Dolphins at the time. And uh, let me tell you what, writers, fellas. And football writers knew about it, and they just said, ah, you know, you know, who cares about steroids? At the Super Bowl two years ago, Roberta Baskin, a TV investigative reporter in, in Washington, D.C., did a seven-part series on steroid abuse and the improprieties of the drug testing within the NFL. Paul Tagliabue stood up at the press conference of the State of the NFL speech and destroyed this woman, tried to destroy her credibility, called her every name in the book, and every sports writer down there basically repeated and parroted his statements and, and basically agreed with her. Agre excuse me, agreed with Tagliabue that this woman was a journalistic assassin out to ruin a nice cocktail party they were having down in Florida, whatever the hell it was. Now, six months later, Tagliabue removed his drug czar, completely revamped the drug testing system, and a few months after that, Roberta Baskin received the DuPont Award for uh, Excellence in Investigative Journalism. Now, not one of these sports writers who damned this woman and tried to destroy her wrote a follow-up. Paul Tagliabue did not apologize to her. This kind of benign neglect, the kind of things that, that pro wrestling and the NFL and Major League Baseball cultivates, goes on at all turns. Understand that. Okay. Listen, Phil, thank you very much for your time I'll here today. I'll shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we had, Phil, believe me, I wish I had a couple hours here. I really do. I'll talk to you later. Okay, Dave, can you hang out with us? Sure. Okay. Thank you very much, Phil Muchnick, and a uh, uh, very, very big story that won't go away. We're about to be joined here in the studio uh, by uh, one of the guys, which I said before, uh, is a fantastic pro wrestler. For those of you out there uh, who don't know, and most of you certainly do know, the gentleman I'm talking about, I'm going to introduce to you, coming to the studio now, from World Championship Wrestling, Cactus Jack. And Cactus, welcome to the Pro Wrestling Spotlight here in New York City. Hello, John. Nice to see you on a, on you a station deserving of, of uh, your talent. You got a winter coat on. It must be pretty cold outside. Well, it's a little under the weather, John. I've been on the road quite a bit, and the ups and downs of life wrestling on the road. Uh, I have had a little bit of time off, and I haven't been able to enjoy it because I've been a little bit sick. I've been, uh, you know, recovering from a little bit of a concussion and the flu, and, I, and I'm... I'm not making the best of it. Well, we brought you here for a couple of reasons. Uh, uh, can you get Steve Beverly on the phone? Okay. Uh, because Cactus, you know, I've, the concussion, I guess you might have suffered it uh, falling down 50 steps that, that were concrete that we saw on television last week. Well, that, wild. No, that wasn't the case. Actually, I think it all happened uh, in a match that will be airing soon against the Steiner brothers. Uh, the mat, uh, I did fall down some stairs. And as a result of that, I don't know how many people know it or not, but there's a live match going to take place on the Clash of the Champions uh, January 21st, where falls count anywhere in the ring. It's myself against Van Hammer, and I'm going on record as saying that it will be Van Hammer's last match in a very long time. You just, you just do not try to play Cactus Jack's game and expect to come out with your health intact. And it very well be Mr. Van Hammer tumbling down those steps from the top of the arena in Topeka, Kansas. And I have an idea that following that match, the only rocking that Van Hammer's going to do is in a chair. Okay, let's back this up a little bit. Mm -hmm. All right, you brought Cactus on the show, is that correct? Yes. Did he have any inkling about what was about to occur? Um, I'm not sure, actually. Because he's about to be, you know. Oh, no, you mean about, I thought you meant about Muchnick. No, 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 no. no, no. He, no, had, no, no, idea. no. he had no idea what was going to happen well, with Dave. Beverly and, Beverly and Meltzer are about to proclaim him yeah. a star. Yes. Really for the first time. Yep. 
in the most important way possible for a professional wrestler to make a wrestling observer list in a positive way was about as big as it got. And I mean this, I, I think that was the biggest thing in wrestling at that point in time. Yeah. Especially the, uh, Bruiser Brody award. Exactly. I mean, who, who wouldn't be honored to get something like that? And this was just re this was just affirmation that he had made it that he was upper echelon now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the fans who weren't around at that point, this is a point where the newsletters were ascending in popularity. They were getting more and more popular at that point, and more and more were coming about. Wade Keller and Steve and Dave and all those. And there were more, and they just kept coming and coming and coming. Insider newsletters were the wave of the future in, in the early 90s. Well, that's why PWI did their weekly too. I mean, to capitalize on that weekly yeah, news cycle, that, but yeah. and it was a little bit more insider than the the newsstand magazines were. Just tiny bit, yeah. And I, I just think that I just want to say on record, and I, I get asked this a lot, that oh, you guys, the rest, the mainstream magazines must have been really jealous, and you're, you, you know, you you probably hated the newsletters. And the answer was no, we didn't. We really didn't hate the newsletters. Um, if, if people thought that we were thinking they were taking business away from us, we never felt that way. Uh, I know people thought that we did, but we didn't because w- what we did was entirely different than what they did. One, one of your guests in a few episodes ago said it perfectly. We were there to expand upon the characters of the wrestlers and promote them. Mm-hmm. You know, for the most part, and and kind of you know blow up, and we would provide a color centerfold in PWI. It was for the fans, you know, fandom. There's a difference between you know wanting to look at the pictures and read the ratings and all that stuff to what the newsletters did, and we understood that, and we never looked at it as competition. I, I'd never ever heard that in my office from Stu Sachs or Bill After or anyone like that. That we looked at the newsletters, we didn't. We really didn't. Maybe we should have, you know, based on what happened in the years, you know, after that. But um, at the time, we thought they were a welcome, you know, we thought they were helping to build the business just like we were. Yeah, because fans always loved inside information. And with with Beverly's Matt Watch, more on the TV side. And, of course, Wade, who made the Pro Wrestling Torch, uh, his Torch Talks. Uh, very uh, were very groundbreaking at the time, and of course, what Melter was doing week after week, deeping, uh, uh, diving deep rather into everything that was going on, and being such a journalist that he was, mm-hmm. these guys were it was groundbreaking. And what I was doing on the radio was uh, electronic media groundbreaking, and then more people started to enter that fray. But yeah, it was a really transitional time if you look at it in, it really uh, in the was. wrestling business. So like I say, the newsletters were ascending. They were getting more popular. They were being taken very seriously. And the fact that at that particular point in his career, he had just come back to WCW. Mm. And a lot of those awards that he won were about to win here um, were based on independent shows. Yeah, Eddie Gilbert series and everything he was doing. Everything, every show that he yeah. performed at. I mean, he, he just gave it his all. His work in Japan as well. Everything. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can't, he, well, let's, let's, let's hear the first surprise. Yes. For one Mick Foley cactus Jack. 
One of the reasons that we brought Cactus here, and Cactus, uh, you don't know, even know about this. Uh, Dave, of course, your Wrestling Observer is uh, uh, the most widely read uh, professional wrestling newsletter each and every year. Uh, you have a yearbook that comes out uh, with year-end awards uh, for uh, various uh, professional wrestlers and their achievements over the year. And uh, this year, I think you have an announcement to make about Cactus Jack. Yeah, I just wanted to tell Cactus here, being that uh, I just um, added it up about two hours ago, um, that you won the Bruiser Brody Award, and I think that uh, I completely concur with uh, the viewpoint of everyone who wrote in. I think that you, you know, deserved it probably as much as anyone deserved it any year that they won that award. The 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 Brawler of the Year Award. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you. John told me he thought that I might be getting that, and I told John that I guess the Observer Year-End Awards are the closest thing we have in wrestling to like a uh, Academy Award type thing. So I'm uh, I'm proud of that. But uh, you got to remember, I had a lot of good people that I brawled with throughout the year. Oh, yeah. Well, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, uh, that feud there in particular was one of the uh, best feuds of the year, and that was uh, brawl after brawl after brawl, barbed wire match, falls count anywhere, stretcher matches, and that was certainly a great feud as well, and I'm sure that'll finish high up in the observer voting for this year. Uh, uh, one other thing, Dave, I don't know if you want to mention it or not, but also there's a wrestler of the year category, and uh, Cactus, did, did he uh, manage to finish in the top ten for that uh, this year? Yeah, I, um, I believe Cactus finished eighth in the, in, the, um, in the Wrestler of the Year category, yeah. Well, that's talking about a lot of pro wrestlers around, uh, not only uh, in this uh, in country. In a lot of countries. In a lot of countries throughout the world, yeah, obviously. Yeah. And uh, uh, Cactus, uh, congratulations on, uh, on those Observer well, Awards. Well, thanks, John. And uh, Dave, thanks to your listeners who, who liked the things that I did. Yeah, well, you, uh, I don't think that anyone's ever, uh, like I said before, I don't think anyone's ever worked harder for their spot um, in wrestling than you have, so... You know, I think that any awards that you get, you know, you more than deserve. Well, thank you. No, no one has ever worked harder for the spot than he did. No, and uh, his passion uh, for the business, his passion for his individual performances, uh, he was uh, he was hell-bent on uh, developing uh, a Hall of Fame career, which he accomplished. You know, we had both gotten to know Mick Foley, and it, you know, the, he would tell us that he used to sleep in his car and he would drive ungodly yeah. amounts of miles to make $10 at an indie card somewhere. And he put his body on the line with every match. And all he ever wanted to do was put on the best wrestling match he possibly could, whether it is nine people in a high school gym or 20,000 people in Madison square garden. And every tiny bit of success he's had was based on that, fervor that he had for the sport nobody wanted to be a pro wrestler more than mick foley did i never saw him call it in once no never not one time that i've ever seen this guy in the ring did he ever call it in he nope. uh he made each and every one of these performances unique different and memorable and you know, you would see him in the ring at that point later on when he would take on The Rock or somebody like that. You go, how the heck is he going to compete against a guy like The Rock? He could more than compete. You know, he he always was the equal of who he was in the ring with in, yeah. in his in his way, if that makes any sense. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I mean, one of the biggest pops I ever heard ever was uh, Madison Square Garden during the Attitude Era when. Uh, he surprised everybody and came out as Cactus Jack for the first time in the WWF and the Madison Square Garden. The roof almost came off the place that night. What a you, what a night! You were there that night. 
I was there, and I got tickets from I got tickets from the WWF. I had uh, left the wrestling business. I changed my name, and uh, lo and behold, uh, one of my accounts as an account executive was the WWF, and uh, they oh, knew wow. me as they knew me as John Alexander, and uh, I used to get some pretty good seats at all the shows there because they advertised uh, on the country station that I worked at. So that was fun being there. Yeah. The last professional wrestling event that I have paid my own money to see was Mick Foley being inducted into the Hall of Fame. I wish I was there that night. What a night that was, huh? Yeah, it was. I mean, I had to be there. That was 2013, I think, right? Yes, right. Wasn't that Bruno's night, too? Bruno's night, too. I, I have never been so happy to be back at a wrestling event. And Bob Backlund. Yeah. Oh, wow. What a class. Yeah. That was a big class that year. And I just had to be there in, you know, in spirit. I mean, Jesus, Mick Foley mentioned me in one of his books. You mentioned me in one of your books. I mean, it's like the, I can think of no better compliment than you, people like you and, and Mick taking the time to remember, you know, our times together and, you know, things of that nature. I learned more about the psyche of professional wrestling f- from Mick Foley than any other wrestler I knew. Cause you know, it was still the back end of kayfabe back then. Mm-hmm. But I remember you, me and, and Mick Foley in a car yeah. talking about wrestling psychology on the way to Staten Island. Yeah. And what we we're going to do with the matches that night and what he wanted to achieve to get the fans into it and so on and so forth. Oh, he I cared- still love yeah, I used to love those conversations, and I used to love when I used to hang out with him, and he'd be going over like a promo, and and just kind of it was it was fascinating to sit one on one with him, or be in a car ride with you, and and just hear the way his mind thought, and how yeah. he was always always thinking, and always making um, making what he was doing in the ring better and better and better. Well, you know. This 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 is remindful of that era. Right around that time, I got to go to Memphis for the first time and be on Channel 5 with Jerry Lawler and, and the Memphis crew there and Bill Dundee, you know, everybody that was there at that point. So I'm backstage at this thing, and I have to go to the bathroom, right? So I find I ask people, where's the, where's the men's room? And they go, you got to follow down this hallway and go in that door. So I went in that door. And it was a strange men's room because on the outside, it was kind of like a meeting room when you left the men's room. And I was in the men's room. When I came out, there's Eric Embry, the booker at the time, uh, Eddie Marlin, and Jerry Jarrett. And when I came out of the men's room, they went, oh, we've been heard. Hmm. Right? That era's wrestlers did so much to protect yeah. their angles, their storylines. You know, the old Cape Fave vibe. Did you, you ever know, hear that word? Did you, ever, did you ever hear that word when you went into a locker room? Someone Cape said, Yeah. No, I never heard the word. But oh, I did. I, the vibe was there. You know, yeah, the vibe was there. And, they knew why, and they knew why I was there. Right. You know, I was part of an angle that was on the TV. But by the same token, they didn't want anybody having an inkling about what they were doing. Right. So to, to to ride in a car with a guy like Mick Foley, explaining wrestling psychology, explaining what they were going to do with the matches, it was like having a door unlocked to the secrets of good professional wrestling. 
Yeah, but that 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 term, that kayfabe term, I mean, that was used in a locker room. I remember hearing it, you know, and uh, as soon as someone who was an outsider, if they didn't know who that person was, I mean, someone would just yell out kayfabe, and then everyone would yeah. like clam up, clam and, up. yeah, and heels, baby faces, not to be seen with each other. Right. And it was, there was that chill in the air, right? It was kind of like a chill. Yeah. A, a pause it was kind of a scary thing. chill too, because like, oh, you know. What like, are what are you do? doing here, kid? You know, right? Right. right? Yeah. You don't belong. That, you don't, you don't belong here. Right. And every, you know, I've been in my share of locker rooms. That's another reason I didn't want to be in the locker room because like I said, that's where the magic's made and yeah. everybody was kayfabe back then. Yep. So it was like, I didn't want to interrupt. It wasn't my it wasn't my job to right. interrupt Jerry Jarrett. I just had to go to the men's room. You know, you know it really was so eye opening for me. It was eye opening for me going to like ECW back then, and when they got and you saw guys working out spots in right. the back, yes. and that was kind of like for me. It was like, wow, this is so different from when I first started covering it. And yeah, you know, you know I was involved in and the now, and now they just let people in as they're still doing spots in the ring practicing. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, it was it was a different vibe in ECW. You know, I was around in the formation. I was the yes. host of their first TV, right. and they 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 just said we're going to do this. This is here's how we're going to do it. They didn't even try to cover it up with with me. No. Maybe that was the secret of why ECW is successful because they they let the fans in just so far, just so far, just so far. Yeah. Not enough to break the illusion, but yeah. just to make them feel like they were part of it. Of course, part of it didn't have to mean throwing 800 chairs in the ring at Terry Funk, but, you know. Or hanging someone by a rope oh, <laughs> at the gosh, yeah. arena. I mean, yeah. or at all, they, they did take it to the extreme. That was a perfect name for them. They mostly did, and that's why they became extreme championship wrestling. Yes. Well, uh, Cactus and Dave are going to take some calls, and Steve Beverly is going to join the fray with another surprise for Mick Foley, Cactus Jack. Let's go to that right now. Why don't we get on the phones and we'll talk to Carol first. Carol, are you there? Yeah. Yes, where are you calling from, Carol? I'm calling from Regal Park, New York. Okay, and uh, welcome to Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Thank you, I'm a wrestling fan. Great. Um, I'd like to first off say to Mr. Rezzi that I really enjoy your show, and I'd like to commend you and thank you for this expose on this issue that we're talking about here. Okay, well, we, we're trying to cover, cover it... Uh, this business and all aspects of it, but this story won't go away, and we gotta just we gotta cover it. We gotta call it like we see it. It's good journalism. Thank you. Thank you um, very much. You're welcome. My question is for Mr. Meltzer. Go right ahead. Thank you, uh, Mr. Meltzer. On your latest issue of the uh, Observer, on uh, the latest issue of the Observer, there's a quote from superstar Billy Graham. I believe it's page six or page eight. Uh -huh. And it's and uh, superstar indicates. Um, now, now, let me ask you a question. He is he indicated that um, not in, in on the in your issue, but what I've heard him say on TV that he's sterile from steroids. Is that that's what steroids does to people? Um, well, he he. Um, I don't believe he's actually talked about that. Um, he didn't talk about that in the thing. I think that you might be talking about um, his uh, when his daughter. Are you talking about when his daughter was brought home by Arnold Schwarzenegger? And, yeah. Okay, okay. Billy has been, um, I guess the word is infertile. He's not imp impotent, but he is, um, yeah, he's sterile. Um, he hasn't been sterile since he started using steroids, but he has been sterile from the years and years of um, 
of, I guess, um, overuse of steroids. I think in, uh, you know, they had, he had a doctor examine the sperm count uh, some years ago, and, 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 and over the last few years, because him and his new wife have been, you know, trying to start a family, and the doctor said that his sperm is dead. Now, it, you know, it hasn't been like that. You know, using steroids does not, you know, you know, does not do that. But overuse of steroids, that apparently, that that's one of the things that that is one of the things that's happened to Billy. So steroids is a really bad thing, and what you're basically trying to say is to the kids that steroids is something to stay away from. Yes, definitely, steroids are something to stay away from uh, in all aspects of life. Carol, we got to run. Thanks for your call. Uh, the number to call here is two one two four seven seven five six one zero. Let's go to Pete. Pete, you're next. Yes, hello, John. Pete, where are you calling from? Pete in town, New Jersey. Okay, Pete, a Booster Club member. Righto. I uh, just have a couple of questions for Cactus Jack. Go right ahead. Right far away. Okay, Cactus, you've been quoted as saying if you could build a ladder to the stars, you'd drop an elbow on the world. Yeah. And I just love watching you wrestle and drop elbows. And I love the fact that Van Hammer is the current rung on that ladder. When you get done with him, who are we going to have your sights set on? Well, there's a lot of sites to be set. There's a lot of garbage to be cleaned up. Like I said about Van Hammer, there's two things that you can do. You can either uh, walk by the refrigerator and pretend that there's no smell, or you can open up the refrigerator and show the world just how bad a piece of spoiled meat he really is. So the Clash of the Champions, Cactus Jack intends to take out the garbage. After that following, there's a lot of people deserving of Cactus Jack elbows. you got a lot of people, and I'm not really sure. One thing that people don't quite understand is when they say that Cactus Jack is tough to get along with, that he's hard to be a partner with, is that I've formed a line with just about everyone there, I may be the easiest person in world championship wrestling to get along. I've tag teamed with Ravishing Rick Rude. I've tag teamed with Larry the Cruncher Zabisco. And I've been a tag team of Lex Luger, Lex Luger and also have worked for Mr. Luger in various capacities. So I think uh, when you look at the people on my side of the fence, you'll see that Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham and people like that may very soon see their end of their careers coming. All right, I just want another quickie. What's happening between you and Abdullah? <laughs> What's happening is a lot of people are jumping to conclusions. You got to understand that they, that most people don't understand, they don't fully appreciate the pressures that come hand in hand with crippling people and ending careers. See, Abdullah the Butcher, he's an emotional man, and so am I. And sometimes our differences take the form of violence. It doesn't mean that anything's coming to an end. Far from it. As long as there's bones to break and spines to snap, I think that Cactus Jack and Abdullah the Butcher will be along for a long time. Hey, I hope you guys continue staying together. It's a great, great team. Okay, listen, Pete, thank you very much for calling. You bet. Okay, number to call here, 212-477-5610. Uh, Steve Beverly is on the line? Okay, let's punch Steve up. Steve, are you there? Good evening. How are you doing? You're on with uh, Dave Meltzer. Are you still there? I sure am. Okay, and you're here at Cactus Jack, and uh, Steve, of course, you're entering the last few weeks as the publisher of Matt Watch, which is uh, considered one of the top wrestling newsletter uh, letters in the world today. Uh, we've asked you to come on today because, uh, as uh, Dave Meltzer just mentioned to Cactus Jack, uh, we uh, brought Cactus in here for a couple of reasons, and uh, one of which... Uh, Dave Meltzer mentioned to him just a little while ago that he won this year's Bruiser Brody Award. And, uh, Steve, I think that uh, you have something to mention to Cactus as well. I definitely do. Um, this will be our fourth and final Matt Watch Annual coming up. It'll be published uh, the week of February 28th. And I'm really pleased to announce tonight, uh, we, we do very much like uh, Time Magazine and try to select what we think is a person who embodies 
the spirit and professionalism of wrestling, uh, even through some adversity and hard times. And your guest tonight uh, delivered performances that are at the pinnacle of anybody's profession. Uh, at times this summer when crowds were not great, when crowd enthusiasm could have been much less, but never failed to give a top performance. And second off, uh, presented what I felt like was uh, part of the best match on a weekly episode of an American television wrestling program uh, this year, and that was the match with Sting on Worldwide Wrestling earlier. Because of all these factors, uh, we have named, and it's the first time I've ever announced it before the annual, we have named Cactus Jack the Matt Watch Man of the Year. Man of the Year? For 1991, and that goes along a tradition, 1988, Eddie Gilbert, 1999, or rather, not, we're not in 99 yet, 1989 was Terry Funk. Last year we gave it to the wrestling television viewer because we didn't think there was anything extraordinary that anybody did that really merited it other than the viewer having to endure much of what they did. But this year, uh, this man's professionalism and performance, I think, has stood out above uh, that of anyone in this, in this field, and, and Cactus is my pleasure. Well, thanks, Steve. You got all of New York City. All of New York City's cheering now. See, John, uh, John never informed me of this. I really feel like this has become a, uh, this is your life, Cactus Jack. And I think I was going to call him up and tell him I didn't feel like riding along to New York City and just uh, calling mm. in on the telephone. I'm happy I came. And uh, like I said to Dave, thanks uh, to, your, to your readers who, who like what I do because uh, it does make a difference. Well, I think uh, there's no question that as we said a couple of weeks ago, I know Dave has mentioned this many, many times. Of course, um, Dave and I are great colleagues and friends, and, and I, I think I can echo anything he has said previously. Um, in, in a profession that is so turbulent, has so much turmoil, and in so many instances where uh, ego goes before what's best for the business, uh, I think you have truly personified what uh, many of us wish all professional wrestling would be like. And, uh, and as many of the callers who have called in here before this evening, uh, you've never failed to give a top performance in my view, and I think in the view of many readers of Matt Watch. And, uh, and I'm looking forward. I've already written the profile to go along with uh, the Man of the Year Award, and I'm looking forward to um, the readers being able to read about that in the Matt Watch Annual. Well, I'll tell you the truth, Steve. When you voted uh, Terry Funk Man of the Year, the piece that you wrote was one of the best pieces I've ever read, and it really almost, and I'm not just saying this, it almost put a tear in my eye uh, reading some of the things that Terry Funk went through uh, to make him the man of the year in your eyes. And if I got any of it, have any of that, it, Terry Funk's been a big inspiration. There's been a lot of people in this business that have been very good to me, and you guys are, are among them, so thank you. Well, you're quite welcome, and uh, we just hope that 1992 is going to be an even, even bigger year for you. I think uh, that the greatest period of your career is ahead of you if you stay healthy and after taking a roll down 50 steps i don't know how likely that is <laughs> but um but i uh, i do i really think that um we need more cactus jacks in this profession and i just uh, i just hope you stay healthy enough that we can see uh, the ultimate top of your career reached cactus must have felt like it was his birthday yeah this is your life 
<laughs> yeah. Your live cactus Jack. And it was great to surprise him. And I know he wasn't feeling well when he came to the studio. And of course, this is not like going to WNYG or WGBB out on Long Island, which was a 15 to 20 minute drive for him. This was actually getting into New York City and uh, and he wasn't feeling well, but uh, it was a big night and I was happy that he was able to make it and happy to uh, get these uh, two wonderful awards um, uh, announced to him in real time. It was just it was a great memory. Well, this is the second show on WEVD. And like I said, in our last episode, we talked a lot about what that station has meant to New York and New York City. My question to you is. Did it feel different, the fact that you were doing these awards on your show that was going to be here all over the East Coast and not just in a little part of Long Island? Did mm-hmm. it have a different vibe? Did you feel more, I don't know, I, I don't know what the word is, um, accepted? I felt, I felt every show was important. Right. Probably more important than anything I had done previously because of the audience and because it was because of the cost to be there. And because the show was only an hour and everything had to be really tight and I wanted to make every single show special. Right. Something, something really cool, every show. And whatever, if, if there was a guest or if there was something like this, a surprise for Mick. And then of course the hard news that we had to cover, I felt that we had stepped it up in a way that uh, put us in the big leagues in regard to radio. Were you cognizant of the fact that more people in the industry could hear you now? Oh, absolutely. I knew from that first show, and I knew when we had Muchnik on, I knew that there were people listening in Connecticut. And that meant Titan Towers. That meant possibly Vince McMahon, possibly Pat Patterson, possibly... Uh, of course, they're PR people. Howard Finkel, which was the guy that used to deliver the reports to the executives on what he heard on the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. So yes, it was a, it was I was very mindful of the fact that who knows who's listening, and then you have all of New York City uh, and you know all the closet wrestling fans who were just high powered people in the industry in every industry. I mean, you ever hear the Minskoff Theater? Sure. I had one of the owners, of the, Steve Minskoff was the guy's name, was a regular listener of mine. There were wow. so many people that and were that's, that's the other end. Of, yeah, that's the other end of things. Cultured, you know, the yeah. cultured scene in New York City. Exactly right. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an amazing uh, opportunity. Uh, but the unfortunate part was that it was brokered, that we had to pay for this show and we were not getting paid for it. We had to pay to be there. And that, to this day, is still something I was like, wow, I can't believe that each and every week we were struggling to see if we were going to be there the next week because of finances. It, it boggles my mind because I, I can't help but feel that if you had done it 15 years later, that once yeah. it became more mainstream, wrestling really did become mainstream. And it's mainstream now. Yeah. Well, look what look what happens today. I mean, look at Sirius XM. Look at Busted Open. That's right. on every single day. It's on seven days a week, and it's run multiple times a day. They have a channel that has all wrestling and martial arts and boxing 
on Sirius XM. And those guys are getting paid pretty handsomely mm -hmm. for what the work yeah. they do. Dave LaGreca and Mark Henry and Tommy Dreamer and uh, Bully Ray. I mean, that's a major part of what Sirius XM is doing. And that show generates tremendous ratings for them. So I wish back then I was hired to do something like this. Right, right. There's a difference between doing it on your own and being hired to do it. Yeah. You Boy, did you put that perfectly. You know, I I could equate it to my own music career, but we'll, we'll talk about that at a different time. But, uh, yeah, there's a big difference between being hired to do it and then having to be the – the cheap cook and bottle washer having to do every single job involved. Absolutely. And it wasn't easy. And because of, as we'll hear, you know, the tension that begins to develop almost immediately with Vince and the struggles on keeping the show on. And I, you know, I have to give you another spoiler alert. I mean, there are some weeks that when we get into um, the middle to end of February, there are, there is a missing, period here uh that we might have not been on the air because of finances after the kip fry show that we're going to do uh, the week of february 16th i mean then you know everything skips into uh the sex scandal stuff on march 15th so there's a there's a gap and that only meant one thing we didn't have the money to be on the air right wow we're all going to Join in and hear this in the next few weeks. This is going to be yeah, really Yeah, I mean, something. we have uh, some amazing guests coming up. And, yeah. and of course, I mean, but this show, you know, covering everything that we covered, I mean, it was kind of a schizophrenic show, too, with Much Nick mm -hmm. and then Cactus Jack getting right. awards for wrestling and then Much Nick talking about what the heck was going on with all the steroid scandals still exploding. Right. Well, we have another few minutes here. Should we let the fans get their voice heard? Yes, I think we should. So let's have the fans chime in and ask questions of the great Cactus Jack. Frank, Frank, are you there? Yeah, John, how you doing? Where are you calling from, Frank? Brooklyn. Okay, what can we do for you? Yeah, I got a few questions uh, concerning the Royal Rumble. Yes. First off, um, the Fox special is uh, on in February. I think the main event's uh, Roddy Piper versus Ric Flair. Now, with that, do you see um, Piper winning the Royal Rumble, then possibly losing the belt to Flair on that night? Well, it's not a talk. Dave, uh... What are you? What are your feelings regarding the Fox Special? Is it is it Piper and Flair going to be main event there? I haven't heard what the Fox Special main event is going to be, and um, I don't think that there's actually been any um, advertising on it. I'm sure that they've made up their mind. I don't think the special is going to be live uh, because um, they've got a show in California, and for it to be live, it's a 9 p.m. start. It has to be 6 p.m. Um, it has to run at 6 p.m. here in California, and they're not going to do that. So I think that they're taping the special in Texas about oh, 10 days early. About 10 I don't days. Know what the uh, matches are going to be and. I'm sure that whatever happens at the Royal Rumble will lead to whatever's going to happen on the Fox special. Yeah, I still feel that uh, Flair's going to walk away from that Royal Rumble with the title. I hope he does. Okay, listen, uh, we got to go. Thanks for your call. All right, thanks a lot. Okay, Dean, you're next. How you doing, John? Where are you uh, calling from, Dean? I'm calling from Queens. Okay, what can we do for you? Uh, first of all, I'd like to congratulate Cactus Jack for winning those awards. Thank you, Dean. And uh, I have a two-part question. The first part is uh, I was watching uh, WCW from... Uh, last night and uh jim ross alluded to something um big about the national wrestling alliance is it possible that it will be 
um, coming back as a, a wrestling body. And the second question is, who is Cactus Jack going to go after uh, once he disposes of Van Hammer for the good of all of us in professional wrestling? Okay, why don't we take the NWA question? I don't think, Cactus, you're aware of what's uh, happening down in the Not trenches Not very there. aware, no. Uh, I've heard a lot of talk. Kip, uh, Kip Tyler, that's the name of the guy, Dave, who uh, has... Uh, uh, Kip Fry. Kip Fry, I'm sorry, Kip Fry. And uh, there's a lot of talk about the NWA name now being brought back into uh, the mainstream. Yeah, well, that name, uh, they were going to do that this year anyway uh, with Jim Hurd, I think. And anyway, they um, they kind of acquired, uh, what was it, a few months ago? We, we, you know, you and I have talked about this on the air, I believe. Yeah. But, uh, a few months back, they they acquired the uh, controlling votes to uh, use the NWA name again. And um, it just, uh, I guess, it took a few months before they uh, managed to uh, decide exactly how they want to use it. And I think now uh, we should be seeing whatever this decision was made, how it will be used. Okay, and Cactus, uh, who's your next... Uh uh, adversary in WCW after you dispose of Van Hammer. Well, Dean, I'd already talked about that a little bit, but I think, uh, you know, in going through it in my head, I think as long as Abdullah the Butcher and I remain a team, which we definitely will, then maybe the uh, the World Tag Team titles might look good again around our waists. Okay. We're going to take our next call here. John, John, are you next? Yeah, hi. How you doing? Where are you calling from, John? I'm calling from Manhattan. Okay. What can we do for you? Well, well, my question is just pretty much for uh, Cactus Jack. Go ahead. Okay, I'm just uh, trying to find out is how does he feel about uh, the difference in uh, wrestling now with uh, somewhat of a big promotion compared to uh, the smaller promotions that he was going around with before he got his contract here with uh, WCW? Well, believe it or not, there were some people when I left for WCW that actually accused me of, of selling out. And uh, it brought up, to, in my mind, selling out to, to who? Who was I selling out? Them, because they what, they pay their money once a month to see me injure myself. I think that I'm entitled to actually make a few dollars in this business because I think I deserve it. And as far yeah, as far as selling myself out, I think I've only I think I've shown dramatic improvement. Uh, since I got into WCW, they've, they've uh, asked me to do nothing that would compromise myself. I don't do anything but give my best out there, and there's certainly uh, better competitors out there in WCW than there are in the independents, although it's nice to wrestle people who are just starting to shine and also good to wrestle someone like Eddie Gilbert, who, uh, who chooses for his own reasons not to be in a big group but i like it i like wrestling in general and wrestling for wcw gives me a chance to wrestle five times a week instead of five times a month well that i mean five times a week means you're getting paid five times a week you can't beat that i mean uh, for anybody to say you sold out i mean you know they're terribly mistaken everybody likes to put a little food on their table now and then you know yeah as much as i like joel goodhart as much as i like dennis Carluzzo, the bottom line is that uh cn isn't going to pick up joel goodhart's wedding whereas they will pick up ted turner's and ted has a little bit more uh income than joel so i think i'll go there for a while okay thanks for your call uh let's go to joe joe you're next who is this Hello? Yes, who's this? Oh, hi, this is Lewis from Flushing. Lewis, I, what can we do for you? I got a question for Cactus Jack. Go right ahead. Yes, Lewis. Um, Cactus, I'm a big fan of yours, and I was wondering, did you ever consider going after Lex Luger's title? Going after Lex Luger's title, I don't think that they'll uh, offer me a shot at Lex Luger's title because I really think that the that the people in WCW are afraid of what a champion like Cactus Jack might actually mean to the company. They think, what is your name, Joe? That was Lewis. Lewis, you got to understand, I didn't have a job for quite a while because people in the higher echelons, WCW, were afraid of what I might mean to their ratings. They were afraid that women and children might, might start tuning out because of fear. But what they forgot 
if they, if they, 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 they lack faith in the American public and just how sick a group of individuals they can be. When you see a, a lineup uh, <clears throat> three miles long and the only, the only possible reason for a traffic jam is that everyone wants to take a look at a car wreck, then you know there's a place for Cactus Jack in this society. But I do not think there's a place for Cactus Jack as world champion because I don't think uh, that, that the WCW will allow it. Well, the show started really heavy, but it ended really cool. But a happy ending. Yes. <laughs> and that's good old Mick Foley. Cactus Jack always put a smile on your face. And I was, uh, once again, happy that we were able to bring him on to honor him in the way that uh, Steve Beverly and Dave Meltzer did with those two prestigious awards. And uh, I was always happy to have him in the studio with me. And uh, New York City wasn't the easiest place to bring guys in the studio. Uh, but uh, fortunately for Mick, I mean, he still was a regular on the show, as uh, we'll hear in weeks to come. Uh, I think it was a good episode. Not yeah. a good episode. Imagine it was just a couple of lines in a, in a black and white printed newsletter, but they meant more than the biggest trophy in the world. That is true, because who wouldn't want those awards? That was uh, highly sought after, like your, like, you know, when you did your. PWI top 500. Yeah, I was going to say. I, Everybody I hear- wanted to be on that list, and they were not happy when they were too high or too low on that list, when they thought they should have been higher. Yeah. To this day, I hear from old professional wrestler friends going, I should have been higher. I should have been lower. I should have been on it. You know, some mm-hmm. people that, you know, would be injured, they wouldn't end up on it. We were so meticulous that way. It it's like an, if you were injured, you could be on the list. Yeah. It was an important annual. It still is. That's why I'm proud of it because it like I was at the forefront and start of something that went on to become a yes. perennial thing. And I hope that they continue doing it as long as they can, because I think it's, it's important in the business now. I really think it is. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, I remember hearing when I went to Memphis that one time, Chris Candido, according to me, he, he said, I got lower on the list. Mm-hmm. I said, don't worry, man. It's only because you weren't booked for a while and you know, you're going to be back up there. And sh- sh- certainly he got much higher on the PWI 500 as the years went along. Absolutely. Well, Bob, I uh, appreciate it once again. Another great week. Alex, uh, obviously always uh, happy to see you and have you here learning the history as uh, it evolves each and every week. So, uh a lot more to come, and I just want to thank Donnie again uh, for his time as with the time capsule. So I, I think we're really enjoying ourselves uh, here with the Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast, and I want to thank everybody again for listening. Uh, I do want to remind you before we close it out, check out our Patreon account, and you get the entire archives of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight radio show. All the uncut, unedited shows are there. You'll have access to each one of these podcasts several days before it's released internationally without commercials for five bucks a month you have access to both the archives and the podcast and there are other tiers if you want that bonus audio zoom calls vintage eight millimeter clips and there's some really cool stuff i just put up there not long ago uh some really historic eight millimeter clips are up there now and uh for those upper tiers you also get packages in the mail that are filled with vintage wrestling magazines from the 60s on up a level for all budgets, and we do put up content each and every week. That's going to about wrap it up for this edition of John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight. You can join our private group at facebook.com slash Pro Wrestling Spotlight. 
There's a public page to share history, and that's facebook.com slash Matt Memories. There's a private group there as well. YouTube channel. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel and watch as many of the clips there as you can. I put up some really cool uh, stuff up there recently, but uh, each and every week you can hear little snips, snippets from this particular show. Uh, and our friend Marsh does that for us. So subscribe to the YouTube channel now. That really helps us. So youtube.com slash pro wrestling spotlight uh, on the uh, social media. You can follow me on Twitter at John Arizzi, Instagram at John Arizzi as well. And uh, shameless plug, I have uh, signed a number of copies of my book, Matt Memories, available. If you are interested, uh, please go to uh, and send me an email, john at mattmemories.com, or just pick it up at Amazon or any other place you get your book, and it's also available on Audible. Merchandise available now. Our executive producer, Jeremy Priest, uh, shared some photographs with me. Uh, he bought, I think, every T-shirt we had up there, some hoodies. Uh, so thank you, Jeremy, for all the support there. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, don't forget, give the podcast five stars. And uh, please uh, give the show a review there as well. And uh, Spotify is now doing that as well. So if you uh, are listening on Spotify, please like the show. And I believe there's some comments there now that you could put up. But Spotify just started that. So uh, give us a like, follow on Spotify as well if you listen to the podcast there. Don't forget to check out our sister podcast, Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden. Another show is coming out in just a couple of weeks. And it's 50 years to the day that the show took place at Madison Square Garden. Uh, so each and every month I will uh, cover 50 years to the day that Madison Square Garden house show I attended way back in the early 70s. Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden is co-hosted by Tim Putre. It's written by Richie Garcia. John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast is a production of Matt Memories, LLC. Our co-host is Bob Smith. Our producer and editor, Alex Robertson. Don Liable covers the time capsule each week. The Pro Wrestling Spotlight's creative director is our friend Marsh. And thanks to Patreon executive producer, Jeremy Priest, and all the patrons for your support of the production of this show. Until next week when we relive more history with you. This is John Arizzi for the Pro Wrestling Spotlight.